0: He's been putting in work for so long. Putting a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work. This is episode 24. I'm John O'Peck, and today we have a guest with an extraordinary story. He's not the typical creative type that I have on the show, but he is someone who has a life experience that most people. While they may not have been through it themselves, they can definitely relate to some of the lessons and advice that Brandon Mudd is able to share. Brandon reached out to me on Instagram of all places. He's part of the Kind of Funny community, stumbled across this podcast somewhere along the lines on Reddit or something, and he thought that he had a story worth sharing. It absolutely is. Brandon has shared something here that most people would really want to try and keep to themselves, so I'm very appreciative of his honesty as a social studies teacher in Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, We had a chat about his experience as a school teacher and particularly an incident when he turned 21 that was very significant in his life that I won't spoil now in case you haven't read the description for the show, but you'll find out very soon. So here is Brandon. Enjoy the show. When did you decide you wanted to be a teacher?
1: There's no defining moment where I can look back and say... You know what? That was the moment. That's where I wanted to be a teacher. I think you ask teachers often enough and they they a lot of them will have a go-to teacher that said this teacher was, you know, had this impact on my life and that's what I want to do. Whereas yeah. whereas for me it was more of like a decision it was the best case scenario for what I wanted to do. And so like my biggest fear growing up or as a teenager was like, and this is probably going to sound morbid, but it was like dying without doing anything that mattered.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way even when they're older.
1: Yeah. And so the initial push, you know, towards the end of high school was I'll go into psychiatry or something in that nature, working with teenagers to some extent. I was trying to figure out what what I wanted to do, and it it really was just, I guess I could be a teacher? That works. And so really... You like kids? Yeah, exactly. You know, I wanted to work with teenagers, and I wanted to do something that mattered. And, you know, I, I say that, oh, I could just be a teacher, and the content was, you know, second. You know, what do I want to teach? Wasn't my first question. My first question was, how can I make an impact, a positive impact on, on teenagers. And mm. teaching was the best route for me to do that.
0: So from there, you finished high school, you went to college, I assume?
1: Right, yeah. And, and right from the get-go, it was set on a teacher education path.
0: And then I, I suppose we come to the incident, <laughs> or I don't know how you'd describe it. Right, no, yeah. Like, that's... You, you told me you were 21 at this point. Is that you were still studying or you just finished college?
1: No, I was it was towards the end of my junior year. I had spent two and a half years at this point on this career path, doing the you know, taking the 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 history classes and the and the political science classes, because that was my major. I had just turned twenty one and as most twenty one year olds tend to do, you go out and you have a few drinks, and a few drinks turns into a lot of drinks. And then you go back to a friend's house and you usually crash. Well, we were laying in my friend's apartment, me and my roommate, and I said, let's just just go home. I'm tired of laying on this couch. I don't want to be on this couch. We can make the mile and a half drive. It'll be fine.
0: So like a a five-minute drive?
1: If that. Not even, really. And so we get in the car and we're in an apartment complex at this point. It's a gated apartment complex. So we are leaving their building, which is in the back corner from the entrance. And we come around two buildings, and there's a cop car. And I panicked. And I said, uh oh. And pulled into a parking spot really quick. And before I could even get out of the car, the cops had already seen us. And it was too late at this point. So they do the sobriety test. I I get arrested, they throw me in the you know the tank, but it's not, you know it's not the glamorous. Oh, I just spent the night in jail. No, no, they, I I got the orange jumpsuit. Wow, <laughs> I took the I took the mugshot in the jumpsuit, the full like, the full deal. Wow, thrown into the you know the the drunk tank where basically it was me and like five or six other college age kids holding us until our court date in the morning
0: yeah that's pretty intense
1: yeah so i you know it's not what what i certainly expected in that situation where they're like here's the Mm. jumpsuit and i'm like oh i'm like an actual felon
0: (laughs) this this is real life what what was going through yeah what was going through your head as you were wearing that jumpsuit and you having you know having your photo your mugshot taken and sitting in that cell like are you thinking my wife is over, or what was the impact
1: yeah the uh, the initial thought is disbelief like uh this this can't be real this you know maybe maybe this won't be such a big deal but the the jumpsuit was one you know you know instance of oh this is real, and probably the more impactful moment was the court date because mm. they cuff you. You know, and they walk you into this courtroom, and they sit you down, and you're in cuffs, in a jumpsuit, in, in front of a judge, and this is what you're convicted of, this is your next court date. You know, it was a suspended bail, so meaning, it basically, I didn't have to pay anything up front, sure. but if I didn't show up for the court date, then it became a problem. So that was probably the moment where it, it was just like, oh... Oh no!
0: <laughs>
1: now what? That's probably like just the the most honest response to it all is just oh no. And the the questions start running through your mind like is my you know what now? Does this jeopardize not just two and a half years of work that I put in towards this, but does this jeopardize any future prospects? Like you know what yeah. are the what's the butterfly effect of this decision going to be like? From here and, you know, for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And so, I'm released. And my first response isn't to call my mom or anything. It's to go talk to my academic advisor. Yeah. And figure out, you know, is this the end of this career pathway that I've been set on for the last four years at this point?
0: And what did they say?
1: They helped calm me down a little bit. it wasn't you know, the end of the world like I thought it was going to be, they had assured me that it was... This makes it much, much more difficult, for sure. But it's not... It would have been a much bigger deal if this had happened while I was already teaching. Sure. uh, Versus a 21-year-old kid who made a mistake. And as long as it didn't happen again, or anything related to it, to alcohol or anything happened like this again, that I should be in the clear. But it was not... You know, as simple as that. So, here in the U.S., when you're convicted of a DUI, it is not, oh, here's your DUI conviction, here's your fine, don't do it again. It's a much more complicated process and a much more expensive process than something like that. Basically, my, my immediate repercussions were, it was an $800 fine, it was a 90-day suspension on my license, and in order for my license to even be renewed or reinstated, I had to go to, it was almost like AA meetings, but they weren't exactly, you know, that everybody sits in a circle and, and shares their story. It was almost like classes.
0: The impacts of alcohol and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Stuff like that. And that was $300. So, and, and then after that, I couldn't quantify it, honestly, because it was a huge impact on my car insurance. Mm. It was a massive increase on that, and I couldn't even tabulate that. Luckily, my parents were footing that bill. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I mean, just right off the bat, over $1,000 in financial repercussions for a 21-year-old college kid.
0: Significant, yeah. You know,
1: that's significant enough as it is, and plus the stigma attached to it all of a sudden, too.
0: I guess the money would probably be the least of your problems in some uh, degree, but what was the thought process for you? How were you looking at yourself? How was your, I guess, mental state after all this happening? It'd be, I, f- I imagine it would just feel like a heavy weight.
1: Yeah, it's it was probably the darkest period in my life, easily. Everyone looks back and, you know, what is your rock bottom moment? And that was certainly it for me, because... That happened at the end of an already tumultuous month where I had lost a friend in a car accident. Wow. And then I had found out a week after that that the girl I was dating had been cheating on me for a significant amount of time. And then two weeks later, this happened.
0: That's a bad run.
1: It it was pretty dark. And it wasn't, you know, that was a month-long stint with the DUI incident capping off you know, that month, and so having to recover for, from the DUI, incident, having to recover emotionally from, you know, the girlfriend, incident, and then having to recover from the loss of a friend, you know, it's a lot to deal with, especially when you're already in college, and especially when you're worried that, A, all the work you've put in so far isn't going to matter, because you're never going to find a job, and B... Never finding a job means your future is done. I think that the hardest thing to realize was this mistake isn't going to define me. It's certainly going to have an impact, and I, I you know, I still have to deal with the the impacts today, uh, hmm. which we can get to later. But you know, the hardest thing was trying to recover from that and and find some sense of self worth again because there is a certain stigma attached to somebody who has a DUI, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's not only was I putting my own life in jeopardy, I was putting my roommate's life in jeopardy who was my passenger. It was putting anybody out on the road at that time, their lives in jeopardy. And so there, you know, and there's a reason for that stigma. I'm not, you know, trying to defend it or, you know. Sure. But there's a certain amount of, guilt and you know that has to be overcome when something like that happens
0: so what was it that got you through each of those traumatic events and the guilt itself like was it was it there something like a goal that you were working towards that you thought you know if i can get to this point then you know i'll have come out of this okay i'll have achieved something was was your career that in some way or was it something else that that kind of motivated you to keep going and not just give up
1: I think it was, I think the career for sure, because at the end of the day, I knew what I wanted to do. I still wanted to to help teenagers. I still wanted to teach. I still wanted to leave some sort of positive impact, you know, maybe not on the world, but on as many people as I could. And I think Hmm. striving towards that end goal is what, you know, was able to keep me going. Um, It's, and staying busy, honestly. Uh, you know, I was able to, you know, I had a job throughout college working retail, which was a nightmare in and of itself. But, you know, it, you know, I had a steady job to keep me busy. I had the schoolwork to keep me busy. And I had, you know, the support of other, you know, not just my advisor, like I said, because he was almost like it's much ado about nothing. Like, yeah. you, you didn't kill anybody. You didn't, it's not a, you made a bad decision it's not the end of the world and so having that those positive reinforcements of this isn't going to define you this isn't the end of the world this isn't you know
0: your life's not over yeah right exactly from there let's get to teaching because over here i know there's a lot of people who study teaching and there's not enough jobs because they're Teachers are staying in; they're <laughs> staying there longer. They're retiring at seventy years old or whatever it is, and especially for young people, it's hard to, to kind of break in unless they want to move into the middle of nowhere. So, is it similar over there? And how did having a DUI attached to your name hurt your chances of, of finding a job?
1: It's it's similar in the sense that it's very hard to break in for younger teachers, uh, especially in my field, because I just teach like. The subject I teach is social studies, Uh, and within that, I specifically focus on government and economics. But the old saying is that social studies teachers are a dime a dozen. All through my undergrad program, the professors were adamant, because basically what happens is, is through undergrad, you're grouped with other teachers in your area. So it was basically like 17 of us social studies teachers together for three years, every single class. Uh, and every professor made it a point to say, "Out of you, this little group here, there might be three of you that find jobs your first year." And so it's you go in knowing that you have to sell yourself, even if mm. it's just for a one year chance. You know, you have to take whatever you have to be able to take whatever you can get. And I think the reason that is is. Social studies teachers do not retire, like at yeah. all. It's the same thing you just said, where they're you know they stay until they're you know fifty, sixty, seventy. So there is very little room for any type of new guard to come in and change things. Social studies teachers and even like teaching as a whole, they do not like the bo- the boat to be rocked. They like to maintain the status quo, and so if you come in. You know, bright-eyed, new bushy. ideas, yeah. Yeah, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to make you know, ready to change the world. You're going to be met with a lot of resistance, and so that that's probably the hardest thing for any new teacher breaking in. And then with the DUI conviction, that makes it ten times harder. Yeah. I I couldn't tell you if it outright impacted my, uh, the process of me finding a job, but I can tell you that I put in. At least 30 applications the summer after I graduated. Wow. And I out of, out of those 30 applications, I had two interviews.
0: That is crazy.
1: Yeah. And the only reason I even had those two interviews was because uh, one principal owed my aunt a favor. And so he gave me the interview as a favor to her. And the other principal that interviewed me was actually the one that ended up hiring me. But the only reason I ended up got- getting that interview was because I student taught there. It was the school that I student taught at my senior year, and so he already knew me and already knew what I was capable of and uh really, it was just a lucky break because mm. if that spot hadn't opened up at the right time, you know i could I could very easily still be putting in applications wow. you know f- you know five six years later
0: so those uh twenty eight applications you didn't hear anything from was there feedback in terms of why and whether the, the DUI was an influence on that or do, is that kind of something you've been able to assume or anything like that?
1: It's, it's mostly assumption. I if, like I said, the only two, uh, even responses I got from those applications were the two interviews I didn't have, yeah. you know, there was no sort of any type of even acknowledgement of the applications. There's a standardized form, at least in Kentucky, for teacher applications. And as soon as you get to the. Crime conviction area. There's a box. And if you click that box. I'm sure it throws up. Some sort of flag. Or like. Basically if, if they're looking through your application. And see that box. I would imagine that your application gets tossed. See
0: the trash. Yeah.
1: yeah. I couldn't. Especially considering how common social studies teachers are. Social studies teachers without. Crime convictions. <laughs> are probably much more common than, you know, Yeah, much easier to find.
0: That must have been a really frustrating period because, you know, usually people applying for jobs and getting knocked back feel like they're not giving a fair go. But for you, there would have been that guilt coming back that this is the bed that I made and I have to, to lie in it. Exactly. And
1: it's not, you know, so at this point it had been a year and a half since the conviction. And so it was... Especially at 22, you're not thinking about decisions you made a year and a half ago, let alone decisions that, that were made even longer before that having some sort of impact. But it, it's exactly how you put it, where this is the bed that I've made, and now I just, mm-hmm. and I knew, the, the most frustrating part was I knew what I had to offer. Yeah, but there's no, there's no way to even get that across on these generic cookie cutter applications. You're a name on a piece of paper and a, a, a graduation date and an address and that's it. You know, there's no sort of process to stick out until you get into the interview
0: room. Yeah. So the guy that hired you, what was his approach to the DUI? Did he did he mention it? Did he say that you know he knew that it wasn't you and that he knew what you were capable of?
1: Uh, he's never actually outright mentioned it. I mean, his background is, is much more troubled. He, uh, he grew up in a boy's home, and so I think he saw a lot of himself in me where the decisions that he had made got him in certain positions that he didn't want to be in, and he had, he had managed to turn it around. And I think looking at me and seeing you know the decisions that I had made, he probably did see a lot of himself in me and decided to give me a shot. And I, you know, I will be loyal to that man until the day that I die. Like, any anything he ever needs.
0: That's so cool. Like, to be able to pay it forward to you and then for you to be in a position one day where you'll probably have students who do stupid things and you'll be able to look at them <laughs> with an experience of, or maybe you've already done this, but you can say, I know that that decision is uncharacteristic for you. You did make a mistake, but it's not going to change the rest of your life. Right. You mentioned earlier that you got into this because you wanted to make an impact on children or teenagers, the youth of tomorrow, I guess. And <laughs> I'm really interested how you can actually turn this really negative element of your life into a positive and how you can use it in teaching.
1: Yeah, sure. Um every every year it comes up. Every year there will be a group of students that Somehow find... It's not somehow. It's easy to find. Uh, they'll that, that find the mugshot, and they'll ask about it. And I almost make, like, a little mini lesson about it when it comes mm-hmm. up, because the biggest thing is just to own up to it. Are they just right? searching your name
0: do? in YouTube and Google or something? Yeah.
1: Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly what happens. Uh, they search for my name, and they put the word mugshot afterwards, and boom, there it is. Uh, it does not take long to find. It is a teaching moment, for sure, and the secret to teenagers not just like and I'm you know I don't have any children of my, my own but I'm sure the secret still applies but when it comes to teaching them especially they want someone to care about their problems right that's all they want they don't want someone to act like they care they or or fake it but they want someone to actually care and that's you know when it came to my conviction that was the same issue with me right I just wanted someone to care and listen and acknowledge that yes I messed up right but this doesn't define me and any problems that they run into doesn't define them you know every day for them is some type of catastrophic problem that they're quote unquote never going to recover from right yeah whether it's like their boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them or they're stressed about a test or other teachers aren't treating them fairly and they just want someone to listen and you know and that's where so many teachers screw, screw up is that especially when the older the teacher gets the less they want to hear about these problems hmm. right or they just brush it off as teenage drama and it's pointless and that's just not in my DNA you know i had to fight for the opportunity that i was given and then had to fight to continue to keep that job, right? Because at any given point, whether it was budget cuts or if I had screwed up somewhere along the line again, that opportunity is gone, right? And who knows if a second one would have ever come, come knocking. And Mm. so I think the biggest thing is, is just listening to them and taking their problems seriously.
0: I think you mentioned when we were talking before this, uh, that, you feel like it's made you a better teacher. So how much do you think it's changed the way that you approach that, having been through something that you, in some ways you, you there might be people or you might feel yourself that you're somewhere that you might not necessarily deserve to be, but you were given a chance to get there. And how does that affect the way that you approach, I guess, not just teaching but life in general?
1: That's a really good question. <laughs> I think just being transparent about who you are and how you handle yourself. Transparency in the sense that, like I said, when the DUI comes up, I own up to it. I tell them what happened. I tell them the whole spiel and use it as a moment for them to learn from my mistakes and just being honest with them and being honest with people that ask about it and being honest with you know everybody. I think that's probably the biggest moment, the biggest thing I've probably learned from that incident is just how to be open with with what's going on with you right because like I said it was probably one of the darkest points in my life, and I didn't have very many people to turn to to talk about it because you know whether it was uh, people being uncomfortable with the subject, people not knowing how to how to really make you feel better which it wasn't really I wasn't really hmm. looking for anything like that I was just looking for someone to See me for who I am and see what I have to offer, and what not only just not only you know from a career standpoint just but as a person um, and so it it really is all about being honest with the people around you and more importantly yourself, right coming to grips with the fact that I made this mistake, and it's going to you know, not haunt me for the rest of my life because it's almost too strong of a word, but, you know, I carry it around with me.
0: It's always going to be there.
1: And I own up to it. Right.
0: So there's been a couple of things you've mentioned as being really hard, like recovering from the initial event itself and everything else that was happening in your life, breaking into teaching. But what would you say has been the hardest part of your career and the decisions, like dealing with the decisions you've made?
1: That's another really good question. <laughs> I think the biggest struggle is uh, is worrying that once the students find out about the DUI conviction, does that change how they view me? Not only as an educator, but as a person, because they're so young that they haven't, they might not know somebody who's made such a crucial mistake in their life. And so they might not know how to react to it and i've I've had several kids that do change the way that they talk to me after they learn about it, right whether it's they you know they start to drift away or they're not as they're not as open with me anymore or whatever it may be, just because they don't know how to react to it, and I think that's probably the biggest struggle is like it's just changing the way that they look at people from an objective standpoint. Right, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Because so often and and it's it's a more of a societal problem than it is a teenager problem, where people are defined by their problems, by what they've done wrong, versus the person that they are. Mm. And so I try to teach them that what you do now is what's more important than what you've done before.
0: That makes sense. Is is it a problem as well with parents and other teachers as well? Like, has that come into play at all?
1: Nothing with parents uh, that I know of. Uh, as far as other teachers go, other teachers are much more understanding than maybe I was expecting at first, especially. Because once it once the word got out, you know, I had a few teachers approach me and it was like, hey, some of the kids are finding your mugshot and, you know, I just want you to know that it's not a big deal. Because it's, it, it the, they're of the mind that it's just... And, and a lot of them are all a lot older than I am anyway. And so, and even in my, I'm going into my sixth year at the school, I'm still one of the youngest ones there. And so they're much more accepting, you know, especially, the, like I, you know, I mentioned, the, uh, the principal that hired me, he's still my principal, and he's been nothing but supportive and understanding of, it, of the situation.
0: That's awesome. So, what would be your advice to anyone, whether it's someone trying to recover from something that they feel like will impact the rest of their life or just teachers in general, apart from maybe don't drink and drive? <laughs> I think that's
1: pretty good advice for everybody yeah <laughs> the uh The biggest piece of advice is is persistence. Uh, it's so hard to break into any career. Uh, and let alone teaching, because I mentioned it earlier, there's just not a lot of turnover. Uh, on average, you know, at my school, there might be like this past year we had four openings, and that was the most I could, that we've had in recent years. So you've got to be able to sell yourself in a way that stands out, because if you get the interview, you know, in my situation, the interview was someone you know, cracking the door open and then I just ran through it right? because of the persistence of I've got all this baggage that I'm carrying with me, I've got this weight on my shoulders that if I don't kick this door open, who knows if anyone's even going to open the door for me in the future. And so the biggest thing is just persistence and don't let... First, well, and I think this has probably been the theme of the whole podcast: is don't let your mistakes define you, but also don't let you know don't let the lack of response to your applications or a lack of response to your resume or whatever it may be, lack of response to whatever it is that you're working on, deter you from continuing to do it. Right? It's all it's all about the persistence. And, and, and being humble on applications, whether it's teaching or whatever it is, isn't going to get you an interview, right? You've got to sell yourself no matter what it is. And you've got to stick out and you, you have to prove that you are the best for this job, whether it's teaching or whether it's, it doesn't matter what it is really.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's, that's really good advice. The last question is the one that I ask everybody: If there's anything you could do and not fail, what would it be?
1: I'd probably be in your shoes, podcasting yeah. <laughs> or or some type of like YouTube, you know, personality. You know, because we, you know, we met through the kind of funny community, and I think that's probably what I look to as far as you know. I I, I could not be happier as a teacher. But if it's one thing else I could be doing it would it would absolutely be either podcasting or you know some type of YouTube uh personality.
0: So so why don't you do it?
1: Time I think is the biggest issue. Yeah. You know, 40 hours a week teaching and then plus another 10 15 hours of prep. And and plus I'm very I I love what I do and it's 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 not it's not common that you're able to Tell somebody that you are absolutely where you're supposed to be, right not only with my job but the school that I'm at right it's I'm going in my sixth year of teaching and all six years I've been at this school, and I couldn't imagine being anywhere else and so it's not often that you you're able to tell somebody that
0: absolutely well it, yeah, as you said, it looks like you're in the right place, it looks like where you're meant to be, and that all the you know past mistakes have made you better for what you're doing so. I uh, commend you for not letting it get to you. I guess. Thank and, you. Thank and you. thanks for reaching out to me because if there are people out there with with cool stories like this, I'd love to hear them. And you don't really expect to open Instagram to find uh, a pitch for a, a podcast <laughs> topic,
1: right? I I appreciate the opportunity, and I you know before we started, this is I've never podcasted or any type of you know interview process like this before, so it was it was a great opportunity for me as well, and I appreciate you accepting it especially over instagram like you said
0: once again that was brandon mud you can follow brandon on instagram at wetdirt 28 get it wet dirt like mud i thought it was clever anyway as always feel free to leave me a review in itunes if you like the show want to help out you can catch me on twitter at johnny himself and until next week keep putting in work